Hey, welcome to a, a, a special edition of Leaving Ring Radio. I got uh, Fight Hub, the founder, creator of Fight Hub, Marcos Villegas. How you doing, brother? I'm good. I'm good, man. Just uh, glad it's a sunny day here in Southern California. We had a few days of rain. Uh, so, but I'm doing good. I'm doing as good as you could do uh, during right. this self-imposed uh, quarantine. So how are you coping with it, man? First off, before we get into the stack up show, we'll kind of give the description of what the show is going to be about. But, you know, how are you holding up? What, what are you doing to occupy yourself? Are you playing like because most folks that I'm talking to and even myself, I'm not a big gamer, but I'm starting to become a big, big gamer now because you're everybody's in quarantine or self shelter. What are you eight? What are you playing? <laughs> I try to play like uh, Call of Duty. Uh, or the Fight Night Champion, uh, uh, the the one that the latest one that they had, right? Um, I just I found out I'm not very good at it. Uh, and then when I get on the Call of Duty, I'm doing all right until my kids jump on, and then they kind of show out and kind of. <laughs> I'm not that good. <laughs> yeah, you know, I've been doing the same thing. I've been playing a lot of video games, to be honest. You know, right. um, I have all these games that. Because I'm so busy with work, I never get a chance to play. Right. Uh, so I've been, honestly, I've been catching up on, on video games. I haven't watched one fight since all this has started. Really? Uh, I know everybody's been, like, showing, like, all the old fights. Yeah, right. I haven't watched. Uh, th that's a lie. I, I watched uh, Vasquez Marquez 3. I watched that when they, they replayed it, and I watched... Castillo Corrales. But outside of those two, I haven't watched any boxing. I've just been playing video games, been working, been running, been going uh, outside away from people uh, because where I live, there's a lot of trails. Uh, so I make sure to stay away from people. And when I see too many people, uh, I go a different way or I just go back inside or I go in a different area. So that's kind of how I've been uh, dealing with all, with all this, like going outside and, and running and going on hikes, especially when I'm feeling a, a little down or like a little stir crazy, right? Uh, really, really helps, like big time. You know, I don't know about you, but my sleep schedule is so so off right now. You know, like, oh, my sleep schedule is horrible. Yeah, man, I'm man. going to bed really late, yeah. waking up uh, really late too. Yeah, man, I kind of find myself. Yeah. I kind of find myself the way you know that nautical series, the very first one where Pablo Escobar is just kind of like sitting at the bench or looking at the ocean. I, yeah, yeah, when when uh, I'm the same he's thing. thinking about his brother, right? Yeah, yeah, the memes. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, same way, man. And like, I live by myself, you know, so it's like a little oh, worse because right. like I'm just here. I can't see any of my friends, and sometimes I'll call them, and, and right. I don't talk to a lot of people as it is normally, uh, to be honest, you know. But I, I've been video chatting a, a little bit more, uh, and that's helped, but. Man, for those people that are in with like their families and stuff, yeah, consider it a blessing, man. Because right. like when you when you live by yourself, you don't got anyone to talk to. At least you got family members to talk to. You know, no pets, bro. No, 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 no cats, no dogs. No, that's no. I wish I had pets, man. My landlord uh, won't allow us to have dogs. Uh, we're allowed to have cats, mm. but I've been very hesitant about getting a pet because I'm gone so much when I when I work that right. I think it. Last thing I want to be is an irresponsible pet owner, you know, exactly. and I don't, I don't want to do that, you know, so yeah, yeah, that's why I, ch I choose not to have a, a pet right now. Yeah, you know, I mean, I got my kids, my, my, both my grown kids, they're in college, but they're, since there's no school, they're in the house, you know, and then I got my two little fur babies and I got the wife. Uh, so, you know, even though, even though I got somebody to talk to, 
they are there are a lot of uh, downtime for me because of the sleep, you know, like, like the sleep schedule. You know, I wake up, everybody's in bed, and then when I'm asleep, everybody gets up. So I'm almost like living by myself uh, in some ways or or not. But good thing, man, that we got this outlet here still, even though there's no boxing and there's no uh, no actual sports being played. At least we have the opportunity with the internet to still be social. Having that social distance that they're asking for that we need right now in this time, at least we can still interact with each other, right? Yeah, no, we, we can, but sometimes that social media gets a little too much too, man. I've noticed people right. have stopped like logging in as much uh, the last week, and I think it's, it's I don't know, like they just get over it. It's overwhelming uh, for people right. and, and like – a lot of people have said, like, ah, oh, it's too much. Like, I just need to, like, do something else. Um, it can cause a lot of anxiety, to tell you the truth. What's you know, up? Uh, you know, I mean, the social media, it's toxic sometimes. It could cause anxiety. Um, yeah, that's true. It can. It can. You know, it can. Especially when people are uh, posting about, like, what's going on and stuff right. like that. I, I could see people like, nah, I don't want to hear about how bad it is anymore. But, like, you know, what I tell my friends is, like, bro, like, this reality, like you can't hide from reality. Like this is what's happening. Like you got to be aware of what's happening and, and you got to go and, and adapt to it. You know, you just can't hide from the fact that this thing's going on. Exactly. You know, you can't, you can't hide from reality. No, you, know, you, you got to face reality. This yeah. is, this is what's happening. You got to face it and also got to understand the information that's being put out there, you know, mm -hmm. uh, you know, not go blind out to the world where, you know, you may miss something that's going to be crucial, not just to your life, but to everybody else that's around you. Right. No, no, for sure, man, for sure. Uh, uh, you know, definitely there's been a lot of uh, disinformation like right. put out there like about this. And even like I remember, like even in the beginning, you know, a lot of people weren't taking it serious. Yeah. Uh, and they were putting out stuff like, oh, you know, the flu kills more people. <laughs> this thing has killed more people than the flu now. Oh, yeah. You know? And then in the span like, of two months, let's think about that. Yeah. You know, where the flu is like a, a six months period uh, time, and and this thing is just you know taking out people in two months. And, and then that's that's really really pissed me off when I started seeing it because I saw a lot of boxing people post stuff like that, you know, and, and yeah. it got me really really angry uh, because I I had a friend who's a doctor from Australia, uh -huh. and because at first I was like in the middle, like I knew it was bad. I tr I trusted what was coming out from the media because. You know, we right. work in media. You could tell when something's bullshit or not. You could always fact check it. Right. You know, so a lot of the stuff I was seeing like, hey, no, they're, they're, this is really happening, you know. But I, I, I didn't think – I was thinking, well, I'm young. If I get it, I'll be fine. And then I just spoke to my friend from Australia who was telling me like, dude, there's a big amount of young people that are getting it. And, yes, yeah, some of them are getting better. Right. But some of them are, are in the ICU because they have – pre-existing conditions that they never knew about. You know, if you had pneumonia before as a kid, if you had asthma as a kid, this is going to hit you even more. Right. You know, I had pneumonia um, when I was young, oh, you know, yeah. it's like, yeah, your lungs probably have scar tissue. It's probably going to hit you harder than, than a normal person right. could, you know? So after I had that conversation with her, this was when I was in, in Washington DC cause we had a Fox show scheduled. Mm -hmm. um, we got there on Thursday. I spoke to her on Thursday uh, and Fox had asked us, sorry, that's the alarm to be here on the podcast. No, no, um, no go ahead. Fox yeah. had asked us to leave. And I was thinking, ah, maybe I should stay like, you know, free hotel. Like maybe I should 
stay an extra days just to kind of see DC. Right. And after I talked to her, I was like, nah, I'm getting the hell out of here, man. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm going back home. You know, you know what's crazy is that when you when folks are saying, you know, um, it only it doesn't attack you if you're fully healthy. But here's the thing is, uh, as Americans, you know, um, a lot of us consume a lot of stuff that's not even healthy for us. I mean, bro, think about here's the thing. Go ahead. You know what? That's that's a, a great point. We're not healthy. Americans no. are the least healthiest out of everyone around the world. And how many Americans go and diet. checkups? Let's think about that. Yeah. So how do you really know if you're really that healthy? You don't. Exactly. You don't. We eat crap food. We don't exercise. We drink way too much. Every All the food that we have has stuff that we don't know about. You know, like, we're not a very healthy population no. as, as a whole, Americans, you know? No. You know, we're on the bottom pole of when it comes to health, you know, being healthy and also when it comes to education. You know, a lot of us jump the gun. Uh, most Americans just read the headlines before they read the body of content that's been put out there, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know that, you know, you've been in, in yeah. uh, working media for years. You know, you put a, a title over your video or your interview and it's just the lead in. It's not necessarily what the whole interview is gonna be about and how many people jump down your, your neck, you know, without even actually even listening to the interview, right? Yeah, I get that a lot on like the comment section. I, I always have to tell them like, bro, listen to the full interview, you know, like always like, all you did was just read the headline and commented, like, listen, listen to the video. Right. Yeah, no, I feel you on that. So let me ask you this. When when did you know you had something with Fight Hub? You know, because this is the first time I've ever, ever spoken to you. So I'm kind of curious. When was it that first video where you said, dude, I got something. I can do something with this. Yeah, you know, um, I think I was very fortunate um, that when... I started doing Fight Hub. It was still very early on in YouTube. Right. Um, so it, it's a lot different now for for people. The first video that I did ended up getting like a good amount of views. I think it got like 30,000 views. But I, I still didn't think like I had something there. I just thought like, well, that was a funny video. It was random. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, the guy that I did the video with um, had a good following at the time. Maybe it was his followers that, you know, went ahead and did it. I did a few more interviews and, and did it all right, you know. And then I did a video with Bob Sapp um, that oh, ended up getting a million views three weeks later. Wow. So within with all within a month of, of posting these videos on YouTube, that had happened, the first video and then that, that Bob Sapp video that did like a million views. And that's – I hadn't even named it Fight Hub yet. It was just still like my personal channel. Luckily, YouTube allowed us to change the name of it. So I changed it to Fight Hub, but right. it was at that point where I was like, hey, this isn't normal. Like people don't normally get a million views like a month into doing this. And that's when I thought like, hey, maybe I could do something with this. Like may- maybe there's something here. Uh, so yeah, very very early on, a month into it, back in 2009. Okay. So let me ask you, what, what, because you know what, the reason I got into YouTube back in 2008 was because I had no outlet over here. I was born and raised in San Jose, which is now away from San Francisco and San Jose. You would know this. It's like the Mecca of MMA. You know, everybody. Yeah, Tachi there. Palace, a lot of stuff. I right. went to those Tachi Palace fights. Yeah. You know, so, so I was a guy that rarely ever spoke to anybody about the sport that I love. And my sister, the one that brought a computer, cause I was still kind of living in the caveman years. 
And she was like, check these guys out. And I remember watching a few videos of the very first YouTube guys that were talking boxing. And I was like, what are these guys talking about? And that's what sucked me in. You know, that's when I started doing videos. And the same thing like you, I was like, oh, I'm not really sure what it's going with. And I actually just kind of did it kind of like as a goof for a minute. But then like in, in that same year, Jack Mosley contacted me and they were like, hey, we'd like you to come down and do an interview to interview us. And I was like, I, I'm not media, you know, I'm just a blue collar guy, you know, that's all I do. So I went down there, started that, and then it just kind of steamrolled after that. So what what got you involved? Hmm. Um, I Well, I was also doing work for an MMA company, um, mm -hmm. doing marketing. So they already had me going to the gyms uh, and, and getting content to promote, like, their fights with their fighters. And just so happened, a lot of those guys were – because I started doing MMA first before boxing. Boxing came as a natural progression as I got um, credibility like in MMA with the channel, I started reaching out to, to boxers uh, and, and I transitioned over there to boxing. I, I'd always liked boxing, but just so happened, I was doing work for an MMA company and I was already getting content for them and a lot of the content they didn't want to use. So I would post it up. Hmm. So it was a natural progression. You know, I, I, people started seeing like, hey, you're doing interviews. And then I thought, well, if I'm doing this with MMA, I like boxing just as much as MMA. Why don't I got, try to go to the, the, these boxing gyms and and reach out and, and you know get content? Because at the time there wasn't a lot of people doing it, um, and, and I thought, hey, you know, this would be a good way to, to bring another audience into the channel. It is called Fight Hub. You know, there's more right. than one fight sport. Uh, you know, so yeah, that that's how it, it happened with with boxing. And I don't remember what my first boxing event was. Um, I remember the first boxing fight I got credentialed to, but I think the first boxing event I went to, I think it had to have been a press conference um, with Chris Ariola hmm. and Tom Adam. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think after that, I got, that was the first boxing fight I got credentialed was Ariola versus Adamek. And then, then from there, that's how uh, me covering boxing started. I was at that one too. Wow. Oh, you were? Yeah. Yeah. I was at, you know, what's funny is that, I think Goosen Tudor, I remember Craig Goosen was like one of the very first to kind of see that there was something there with YouTubers, you know, mm -hmm. because Golden Boy, I remember when I was trying to press with them of getting credentials and showing them like the videos and how many hits I were getting, they kind of looked at me like, eh, like we don't know what it yep. is, yep. get yep. out Golden of here. Boy, Golden Boy would not credential me at the beginning. No one Nobody. credentialed me but them. Yeah. But Goosen Tudor and Thompson Boxing, those were the only oh, two that yeah. would credential me. Yeah, yeah, man, that's kind of strange, but but here we are. You know, they all thought yeah, it was kind of like a fab, and it was going to just disappear and fizzle out. But no, you know. <laughs> Anyways, man, yeah, it's crazy. You I remember uh, that fight, that uh, Adamic fight. I was like in the back row, and I remember I had a press member from Poland um, right next to me, and and I thought it was the funniest thing. And, and I'm not like a PC guy at all, you know. Uh, but I was like, dude, this guy's going to get his ass kicked if, if he keeps yelling this. So, like, during the fight, he kept yelling. And I don't know if you heard him, but he was loud. Uh, he kept yelling, hit that fat burrito, hit that fat burrito. And I was like, dude, this guy is going to get <laughs> jacked. Like, does this guy not understand? There's nothing but Mexicans, Mexicans here. Like, yeah. someone punched this guy. But it was the funniest thing because I'm like, dude, you're supposed to be a press guy. And he's like, 
cheering for Adamic and hit that burrito, hit that burrito. And I was just like, man, this guy's nuts. Yeah, I, I don't remember. I mean, uh, remember that? I, I, I remember yeah. how how electric it was there. Um, I had a chance to interview everybody, you know, after and all that, but now I don't remember. Dude, that. Yeah, I was surprised there was, that the, there's that many Polish people there in Southern bro. California, right? There was a lot of yeah. Polish fans. There, there was a lot. There yeah. was a lot. Man. Where did they come from? I don't yeah, know. I've never seen that many Polish people in Southern California ever. And they were talking a lot of shit. <laughs> yeah, they were. Yeah, they were. Yeah, they were. <laughs> they were talking a lot of shit, but it was yeah, great. They were. You know, it was a phenomenal phenomenal experience you know i stopped covering events though to tell you the truth i just really stuck with the whole podcasting i just started doing that i, I honestly i'll tell you what happened with me was i got tired of the boxing politics the good old boy club stuff yeah yeah, yeah. no it's and, it, and it's still there bro it's still it there is. so you would think you know someone like me who um is with the network now wouldn't have to put up with as much of that and I still have to, man. It's right. still a, it's still hard at times, man. I, I still got to fight to get interviews, um, yeah. to get stuff, to get you know. I I think, given the size of my outlet, right, um, we still get looked down upon because we're digital. You know, we don't right. get the same preferred access still as print, um, or um, no, you know, mostly print to be honest. You know, right. Um, so yeah, it, it's still happening, man. Yeah. Yeah. I, I still see it. I see it out there mm -hmm. all the time. You know, I don't, I don't engage as much as I used to, but I do, I still, still witness it. So let me yeah. get down and tell everybody what the show's about. It's called the stack up show. And I'm not a fantasy fight kind of guy. Never have been. Yeah. But how times are right now, we're all on lockdown and pretty much all I've been able to do, like the rest of the world is go back and look at old fights. So I figured, why not bring one of the OGs yourself, Marcos, with me, and we would do fantasy fights. So see how the older guys would stack up to the guys that are current, of today. And I picked two names that I picked that I thought were kind of interesting. Costa Zoo and Marcos Antonio Barreras. Both guys uh, uh, I was a, a huge fans of, uh, grew up watching them, uh, and I still think to this day that they stack up pretty well to some of the current champions or current uh, you know, contenders in the division. No, definitely, definitely they do, man. So I, I, uh, I like this, but sometimes it's hard. Right. I, I think with certain fighters, um, because we hold them at, at such high reverence that I think right. sometimes it clouds our judgment to the reality of athletes now are better than what they were before. But I think in the case, and you put it correctly, in the case of Costa Zoo and Barrera, I think they they would still do very very well uh, today because they were both very fundamentally balanced. Right. Both very very good. Uh, good. Costa Su had that power um, that would have set him apart from a lot of people uh, now, and it set him apart back then. So yeah, man, let's do this. I'm excited. Okay, so let's go with the first one. Now I wanted to go with Costa Su because yeah. There's some stuff that you, you touched on that I was going to talk about. One that Costa Zoo, if you really look at some of the European fighters, they still are very mold the way Costa Zoo was because that was kind of a traditional style of what they grew up with, you know, like the Kalishkos. Very one-two, stand up right, um, look for the big punch, not waste a whole lot of punches, you know, and really start everything off with a jab. So I still believe Costa Zoo would either be a titleist or be 
a unified champion. But then when you look at who he's lost to Vernon Phillips and then the, to Hattonmater uh, down the line in his lane of his career, I think, honestly, I think he kind of gave that fight away with Hatton just because I think he wanted to pass the, you know, pass the guard along and stuff. I, I don't think he wanted to be part of the sport. That's my theory. That's my hope, you know what I mean? Because I was so, oh, bro, I was brokenhearted when he lost to Ricky Hatton. I was like, oh, shit. But um, I think Josh Taylor, if we look at the styles here, Josh Taylor, in my opinion, who's got 16 wins and 12 KOs, right? His footwork, hand speed, the overall IQ that I've seen so far from him. I don't know about you, Marcus, but I think he gives Costa Zoo a lot, a lot of problems. Yeah, you know, I, I would agree with that. I, I think the world is starting to see how good Josh Taylor is. I remember when I first saw him. Uh, I want to say maybe two years ago, my first reaction was, holy shit, this kid is really good. You know, right. really, really good solid fundamentals. Um, really, really good speed. You know, the speed would have been a problem for Costa Zoo, uh, though he did fight uh, speed fighters, you know, uh, in his career. And he would always be able to, you know what Costa Zoo had? Really good timing. You know, and that's the thing that they say about uh, beating a speed fighter, you know, speed, uh, uh, timing beats speed, you know. So you, you got to think if, if there was a fight, maybe Josh Taylor would have pulled ahead uh, on the cards and it would have been something where Costa Zoo would have been hunting, would have been pressuring, timing and just waiting for that one big shot. And that's the thing, you know, has Taylor ever taken a punch? the power of uh, someone like uh, Costa Zoo, you would think, you know, Regis Prograce is a big puncher, right. but not, not like Costa Zoo, you know? He he had way different power. Even the way he he would throw his punches were, were different, you know? It's just a different technique of throwing them. Uh, so, you know, it'd be interesting. I, I would think, you know, it would be something where he would be behind on the cards and he'd have to trail back and, and, and have to do something dramatic, but... You know, it's always right. hard when, when you have a guy like that that I don't want to say he's plotting, but the way his feet are set are set because he's a power guy. And because his feet are set like that, they're not as fast moving around the ring. And you got to think Taylor would have used his speed to move around the ring and just try to outbox Costa Zulu in, in a potential fight. I agree with that. You know, the thing with, with, with Taylor, he's not Zab Judah. Zab Judah had yeah. speed. But his speed was in spurts. It wasn't consistent. You know, like he always needed to like re-gear himself in order to let his hands go again. What Costa is that consistent pressure. And the one thing that I've always admired about Costa Zoo is that you always knew that he was going to throw that right hand no matter what. He'd measure you with that left, hook, that, that left hand, that left jab, and then he would find that time and that range just to throw it down that pipe and hit you. You know, he didn't have a whole lot to his arsenal. He only had those three punches, but man, he was good at it. You know, he was really good at applying pressure and he was really good at throwing those punches when he needed to throw them. Yeah, and, and who's to say too that, that the pressure wouldn't have bothered Taylor where, you know, uh, Costa Zoo would have been able to, to cut the ring off and, and trap Josh uh, in the corner or in in a preferable distance where he could time those punches where he could, you know, throw the jab, flick the jab to the body, flick the jab to the top and, and follow it up with the right hand. Um, you know, Costa Zoo was, was tremendous at that. 
and and that's the other thing with when you are when you fight a fighter that is a mover or has a lot of speed you know there, there's a few ways to go around it you know obviously one of them is is to to pressure them not allow them to move and cut the ring off uh it's a lot harder for the pressure fighters now to do that yeah uh, because these guys are, are are very conditioned and i think you know you're having to eat a lot of punches on your way in because a lot of the the pressure fighters now don't move their waist or, or don't pressure with the jab coming forward you know which would cause the other opponent to not throw as much okay so we're back here sorry about that if we uh, fell off for a short bit but we're back on i i so I, I would have to agree with you. I think that Kasuzu could edge, even possibly get that late stoppage. But God, I like Josh Taylor a whole lot. You know, I think that that right now he's the it factor. He's the man to beat in that division at 140. You know, um, I I I I agree with D Style who just put it up a, a you know a, a comment saying. I don't think Josh Taylor is strong enough to even hold back Acosta uh, Zoo. I don't think so either. We haven't really seen hey, him have to do that. that yet. That's a good point, man. That that's a very very good point. You know, and it all comes back down to what we were saying about pressure. You know, it, it's like I've always said for the longest time. Uh, if I was a fighter at welterweight, I would hate to fight Sean Porter <laughs> because of the pressure. Because he it's that's a long night, a lot of work, and and he's gonna make you work, 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 work. And yeah. when you when you face a pressure fighter, it's not only physically taxing, man. It's mentally taxing too, yes, dude. It is. Like you're you're in there and you're just like, you 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 have to be focused at all times. You don't really get a moment to breathe or, or catch a breath. This guy's on you, on you, on you. You know, you're throwing your best punches and the guy keeps coming. And, and then now you're having to fight like mental emotions, like dude, like I just hit this guy with like a bunch of punches and he's still coming forward. Like what the heck, you know? Exactly. It's very, very draining overall to fight a really well-conditioned pressure fighter. Now, imagine if it's one who's stronger than you, who's used to fighting bigger guys, uh, and packs a bigger, way bigger punch than you. It, it could end up being overwhelming, and it's not surprising how you know a lot of these guys end up drowning people in the later rounds. But this is the thing. We don't see a lot of great pressure fighters now, to be honest. You know, who, who's a great pressure fighter right now? Like, it, it's hard to list. Like, the last great pressure fighter to me was Margarito. Mm. The, the last great pressure where he, he came forward, threw a lot of punches, and was on you, on you, on you, did not let you breathe. I haven't seen a guy like that lately. No. No, I think everybody right now is is more into trying to mold themselves into – a three-headed type of fighter, you know, pressure, uh, uh, be elusive, and be the best fighter they can possibly, you know, and, and I don't think that works. I think with Antonio Margarito uh, was, he understood who he was and what he could do in the ring. So we stuck with that, just like Costa Zoo. You didn't see Costa try to be the most elusive guy. He didn't try to be like a Pernell Whitaker. He wasn't the fastest person, but he stuck to what he knew and he perfected what he had. And that's what, in my opinion, made him a great fighter. Now, the other guy that's in 140 division right now, you got Jose Ramirez out of Fresno, California. 25 wins, 17 KOs. I think that's a completely different fight. But I think, Marcos, in my opinion, 
I think that is the most winnable fight for Kasuzu because that's the kind of guy he would want to face. Somebody to come forward. He had, he had a lot of great success with some Mexican uh, fighters and champions in his time, right? No, he did. I, that would have been a fight of the year uh, type of fight. Probably uh, round of the year. It would have been a great fight uh, for as long as it would have lasted because you know Jose... You know Jose. Jose likes to, to brawl, dude. He likes, he likes to, to mix it up. Yeah, yeah. He likes to, he likes to bring it, and that Kasuzu would do the same thing. So I think you know with there, I don't think Ramirez would have had quite the punch to maybe back Kasuzu and gain his right. respect in terms of being weary about which punches to throw and when to throw and how many punches to throw. I I think the power would have made the difference there for Kasuzu as well as is the technique there. I would have favored Kasuzu in that fight because that's his style. And he he's a lot better at, at that style than I think Ramirez uh, is at this point, though, you know, Ramirez right. is getting better. Uh, but I think, you know, we've seen that the power is just not quite there in comparison to Kasuzu uh, when you match those two guys up. You know, I, I don't think there's the denying, though, that what we've seen from Jose Ramirez of late I've seen him being with the uh, with the Garcias now. I think it's helped him out a lot. Uh, I see him sitting on the twenties a lot more. Um, he seems to be a bit more heavy-handed. Uh, I didn't think he was going to stop Maurice Hooker. I, I, I thought that Maurice was going to really get. Um, I thought it was going to go the distance. To tell you the truth, I just thought it was going to be a brutal and maybe it'll be a TKO based on cuts and bruises. But the way Jose Ramirez came out, I mean, man, he's impressed me every single time since being with uh, Robert Gar Garcia. No, you know, he, he's improved big time. He, he's gotten a lot better. And yet the, the power is starting to develop a little bit more. But, you know, Kostazu is just a born puncher, man. Like, he's, you can improve things to get more power out of people. But at the end of the day, like, that, that old adage, like, you know, punchers aren't made, they're born. It, it's true. Some guys are just naturally, like, heavy-handed. They just – their body mechanics – they're just different. Their their muscles and tendons are, are connected just just differently, where they're able to leverage more of their weight and get power behind them. You know, there, there's some guys that you could do everything in the world, strength training, right, the highest tech type training, and they're never going to be big powerful punchers. Um, you know, you could sit on your punches and get more leverage, but at the end of the day, if you don't have that God given power, like you, you can't turn turn a guy who doesn't have that much power into a murderous puncher. It just doesn't work that way. Now, Regis Progress is a bull. And obviously, Josh Taylor kind of showed what, what he could do with a bull. But I still say this is a very interesting spike for Costa Zoo. Costa Zoo was overwhelmed by a Ricky Hatton, a Mahler, a Mahler style. Could Regis do the exact same thing Ricky Hatton was successful with against Costa Zoo, Marcus? Well, it all depends. You know, obviously, that was later in the career of Costa right. Zoo. Um, Ricky Hatton was just a buzzsaw, man. This guy never would get tired, relentless. Another pressure guy, you know, um, that would just go to the body, would wrestle a lot, do a lot of pummeling uh, to get you tired. And, and you know, I, I come from a wrestling background, an MMA background, uh, mm -hmm. in terms of like I, I trained all that all my life. So when you're pummeling on the inside, it gets you tired. Like th that's a whole different type of conditioning uh, that you have to do so you don't get tired. You're, you're your arms get really heavy, your shoulders get heavy, and, and that tires you out. And that Ricky liked to work on the inside, liked to pummel, you know, get a glove in there, get a glove out, throw a punch, 
put that glove back in, throw a punch to the body. That would have been tiresome. Now, with Regis, I don't think Regis throws as much as Hatton, though he's certainly heavy-handed. Uh, but I think he's missing the volume there uh, of, a, of a Hatton. I think so, too. I think the body work of a Hatton is what Regis needs, to bring, you know, yeah. needs to bring to that table. You know, I mean, look, I've always said this to fighters. I mean, I, I'm pretty sure you, when you have spoken to fighters, a lot of them will tell you, I don't go back and watch uh, old, old, old fighters for some reason. They're not just, they're not, they're, there's no interest in there, which I find, I've always found, found very weird, you know, that they don't go back and look at certain, uh, uh, certain tricks that the old fighters used to bring uh, to the table, you know, um, because I think that if a lot of them did their homework, you wouldn't really hear a lot of folks saying that that the teaching in boxing is becoming extinct because fighters would be able to pick this up and, with their own eyes and see that because I, I've worked with kids that you could talk to them till you're blue to the face, but until you show them and show them that it works, that's when they get that odd moment like, oh, now I know what you're talking about. Now I know what you mean, you know, and I think that's why we see the lost art of a pressure fighter like you were mentioning earlier, you know, because... I've always said, like, Mike Tyson and even the late of Julio Cesar Chavez uh, Sr.'s career had kind of tarnished the way fighters look at having balls out style. They, they believe that taking a lot of shots to the face, face and head is, the, is, is, the, is the, the natural way of being the bull in the ring, of coming forward. But they don't look back past, you know, the, the, the beginning of these guys' career, where the head movement was there, how Julio Cesar Chavez used to pair a lot. You know, how he used his feet to close that distance to get to the body. Those are the things that, that is missing. I think Rivas can do it, but it would be something that he would have to discipline himself and kind of go back to that drawing board because he would really need that with Costa Zoo. So I think Costa Zoo, in my opinion, I think he stops him in mid-rounds. It, it's hard to unlearn what you have learned already because it's years and years and years of building that foundation so it, it it's hard to go and incorporate something completely different and completely new um because you kind of kind of freak out you kind of like lose your way in, in a way when you do that uh but i i do agree you know when you look at tyson and, and chavez especially chavez man that guy was super defensive even though he was offensive because right. of what you mentioned like the head movement moving the waist using the glove out there to, to parry um, so, you know, that's the other thing, too. I, it surprises me when they don't watch old tape. Um, I know trainers do, uh, but, like, every single, like, the tape is there. Like, whatever, like, fighter you're going up against, that style has already been there. Right. And those fighters with that style have been beaten. So the blueprint is in the tapes, in the history of boxing. Pressure fighters slick fighters, punchers, all those styles have been beaten. You just got to go back through the history of boxing and see how those fighters, why they lost, what, what these other fighters did to combat that. Like every single blueprint to beat a fighter is there uh, in video on tapes right. of these fighters that have happened, uh, these fights that have happened in the past. So I I've always wondered that too. Like if I was a trainer and told me, like, hey, you know, you're preparing for this slick style. I'd go and look up slick slick guys that have lost fights. Right. And, and seeing those fights and be like, okay, you know, what worked there? 
And you know, obviously, those fighters are completely different than, than the fighters um, that are fighting. You know, but I would say like, oh, well, this seemed to work here. Why did this work? No, I have this guy. What does this guy do that's similar to that? Okay, let's build on to that, you know? Yeah, you know, Casa Zoo was a throwback. I remember watching him, and he would do these little subtle things that, that got him that edge. Like, if he missed with the right hand, he still would clip you the way Roberto Duran used to clip you with the left hook with the elbow. He would skin you a bit, you know? Um, he, was, he was one of those very physical guys when he got in close with you. I mean, look, look at how he dismantled Zab Judah. You know, uh, he made sure that he was on him. He didn't give him that room to breathe. And here's the thing. He actually forced Zab Judah to step backwards, not step aside. He didn't give that, he didn't give you that, that, that split second to think. And that's what a lot of pressure fighters don't understand. You know, I'll tell you the last pressure guy that I saw uh, that did a phenomenal job against the up-and-comer that now is considered one of the pound-for-pound pound fighters of the world, uh, uh, Vasily Lomachenko, is when he got in with Orlando Siri. I mean, Orlando was on him. He didn't. He didn't. He never allowed this kid to breathe. He didn't allow him to think. He didn't allow him to use his footwork. He didn't allow him to do the pity pad to find the little kinks in his in his defense. He made sure that he backed him up. And then when he didn't back them up, he roughed them up all through the rounds. Yeah, that was a big learning experience for Lomachenko. He uh, he roughed him up, man. He he mugged him in that fight. He was yeah, he did. Up. <laughs> everywhere. It didn't matter where. It hit him in the balls. Hit him in the hips. Yep. Hit him in, in in the hips. It didn't matter. Uh, but it, it, you know, he obviously, you know, if that fight were to happen now, it's completely different. Salito. I don't even think Salito. Even though he hasn't. Did he ever? I don't think he ever announced that he was retired. But he's like a, a politician now in Mexico. He's a politician in Mexico, and yeah, yeah he's he's yeah. he's out of line, right? I. You know, I, I see Sean Gibbons. We, I had him on, uh, uh, I think it was last year, you know. And uh, <laughs> I remember him, man. He was just like, hey, but we still got that one up on Mama Chico. I was like, yeah, you do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, they do, you know. Um, but that that shows you what uh, when a pressure fighter done right can do with a, a style like that. Uh, and, you know, Chavez versus Roger Mayweather. That's a, there's so many examples of, of how to nullify like a defensive fighter, and it is with smart pressure that's built upon a double jab. I, I feel, but yeah, no, that I, I was there live when Lomachenko lost that fight, man. Ooh, um, it's it crazy, dude. Because <laughs> you know what the consensus was on press row? What was that? Was this guy's done? That's it. Like, all this hype and what, you know? that That's what a lot of people were thinking. Like, yeah, this guy was overhyped. He couldn't even beat Salito. And, like, the thing is, like, Salito's a guy, like, yeah, he has a journeyman record. But, like, on, every, on, on any given night, Salito could have beaten anybody in the world. I mean, well, look at his resume. He's a handful. Look at his you – know? Robert Guerrero. Yeah. He beat Robert Guerrero. Uh, he beat uh, – uh, uh, I mean, he was to the nails with Gamboa. Uh, one over to Puerto Rico, Dismantle Lopez. I mean, his resume is extensive. For I, I remember the same thing. I remember it was like, oh, Lomachenko, he's done. He's wiped off the earth. There's no reason to bring up his name. And I'm like, man, you lose to a guy like that, and that's the end of the road for you? I mean, that's really where boxing and fans are always at. You know, they think that one blemish is completely it, that that's, that's the antidote of being written off. 
the, the, the map of boxing, the landscape of boxing. That's really not. I mean, our best fights, when we're talking about this, because we do a show uh, that's called, right now that we're doing, it's called Beer Boxing Quarantine. And uh, I was mentioning that if you really think about all the great fights, the fights that have that have made it to fight of the year, or you know, uh, or given you uh, produced some of the best leather being thrown in on television, have all been from guys that don't have blemish records. They don't have anything to lose anymore. You know that pressure of of keeping that O when it's gone. We tend to see these guys perform three times, four times better in the ring. Yeah, it's, now that I think about it, you never seen a guy who was undefeated be like in a fight of the year, really, to be honest, huh? I'm, I'm trying to think like over the years. I'm trying to think of one right now. I mean, except, well, I mean. Like Canelo Golovkin, but I, that wasn't the fight of the year for me, you know? Right. Well, no, Canelo had the one loss of Floyd, so that's, exactly. that's out. Uh, you know, yeah, I, I can't really, really think of anything, you know, that, that's a good point, and I think fans in general need to get over the notion of a fighter's garbage if they have a loss. And you know who's the best example of that uh, at present? Julian Williams. Mm. Everybody wrote him off after that knockout um, that he had to Charlo. Right. People said he was done, he was finished, that he wouldn't amount to anything anymore, and then he ends up winning the titles. Yeah, he loses them again, but that just goes to show you, like, hey, like this guy has already proved everybody wrong. Um any given night, anybody could lose. That, that's how yep. it is in any sport. In any sport, any given night, when you're facing the top competition, any given night, you can lose. It, it all amounts to the, the little mistakes. You know, everybody's on the same level when, when you're at that elite level. Uh, and, and it's just one little slip of end up costing you a, a fight. And in the general sports world, you know, it's, it's the little mess-ups that end up going to your loss. Why, why do you think the NBA, the finals, is with seven games you know right. uh, um like i said because they're all on the same level exactly and speaking about that like uh Williams, i mean the guy that we're going to be talking about next is a guy that had practically three different different careers in his box in his whole boxing resume antonio uh, uh, uh i mean marco antonio barrera i mean here's a guy starts off as a bantamweight was just mowing through guys Moves up to featherweight, loses to you know uh, Pacquiao, and you know loses to Eric Morales, but then comes back and beats Hamed. I mean, it just shows you any given night in any 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 fighter that digs deep and really honestly decides to kind of break themselves apart and then rebuild themselves can do a whole lot in in boxing. I mean, I, I always find it kind of puzzling that how fight fans. They always forget that what we really truly love about the sport is the backstory. That's what sucks us in to sitting down and watching these guys and being emotional, going through this roller coaster of rounds with the guy you're rooting for. It's really because of their story and their, their fight style and what they've been through and what they've accomplished or what they're hoping to accomplish in the sport. You know, I mean, it's just the beauty of any combat sport. No, yeah, no, very true. That That's what sucks you in because you could relate to that struggle because a lot of these guys, you know, come from um, disadvantaged backgrounds or uh, very hard upbringings and you feel for them because, you know, we all want to see somebody who comes from a very poor economic uh, and social background go and, and move up 
um, and, and become successful. I think that's everybody's dream is, is to become successful uh, to a point where they, they don't have to struggle anymore. Uh, and that's one of, I think, the greatest things about boxing is you see stories of these guys that, that come from nothing, that they're dirt poor, eating out of trash cans, homeless at times, living in the gyms, and, and right. they, they reach success. And we know how, how much work it is put into to that. And, and it serves as a lesson in life, like not to give up, that you can overcome that just because you're born into poverty it's it's not a death sentence for you you could fight your way out because at the end of the day life is, is a constant struggle against obstacles that come our way you know and it's boxing is the closest example there is to life to be honest you know when you look at the daily struggles that these guys go through and you see it also that life's not guaranteed just like no. in boxing, life is not guaranteed, you know? We don't ever want to see that. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, it's the same thing, man. There's a lot of parallels there. He finished off his career with 67 wins, 7 losses, and 44 KOs. You know, I remember meeting Antonio, uh, Marco Antonio in Reno um, right after an event. He was sitting down with his family. I got to tell you, I don't know. I, I would like to ask you if there was ever a fighter uh, – in either world, in the MMA or boxing, where you kind of lost, you lost every thought that you wanted to ask him. You just went blank because I, I was a huge fan of Antonio, uh, of, uh, of Marco Antonio, and I remember walking up to him, and he was so generous. He told me to sit down, and he started conversating, and I was literally, I only was able to get out a few words out of my mouth, man, and I went completely blank in speaking Spanish too. I was like, okay, no, está bien, you know, he's all, and he goes, ¿quieres algo para comer? I'm like. Uh, no, uh, see, <laughs> um, I'm sure there has been a few times where like, I, I have gone blank. I'm trying to remember now, like with who I, I'm pretty sure it probably would have happened earlier when I was doing it. I want to say I got kind of like that with Conor McGregor when I interviewed him for his tour, uh, for the fight with, with Floyd. Um, I don't know, because all of a sudden he was right there and I was just kind of like, Taken aback, like, oh shit, there he is. You didn't go, who the fuck is this? <laughs> yeah, probably. Uh, might have been with the, ah, man, I'm trying to think. Might have happened to me with Oscar. Um, I'm, I'm starting to get, like, my, you know, doing this for so long, like, right. I very foggy memories at, at times. But I, I think, yeah, with Oscar, I kind of got like that because I was a big, big Oscar De La Hoya fan growing up. Uh, you know, Barrera, I love talking to Barrera. Barrera's so nice, man. And, He's one of the few fighters that I've heard that you could be a fan of and then you end up being friends with them. Uh, I've heard a lot of stories of fans right. that ended up being, being friends with Barrera and Barrera staying in contact with them. A really nice guy, man. Really nice guy. Let's see how he stacks up to Juan Francisco Estrada. 40 wins, okay. 3 losses, 27 knockouts. What do you think, man, if they, if they would have faced each other in this time, what do you think would have uh, edged out? You know, it's tough because I, I like to say that Barrera's best weight was at featherweight, no? Yeah, I would say that too. Because Barrera was kind of, like I said, he was a guy that went out. He was, you know, a, a mowing machine. You know, he went out there whirlwind, uh, he, but he put a lot of pressure. And his jab was there, but it wasn't the jab that we saw as a featherweight. 
It, it just yeah, wasn't no, there. He didn't need it I, as a bantamweight. I think he, he like grew into his body when he started going up those weight classes. Right. Uh, to featherweight and above, especially I think it started with the, the Prince Nassim uh, fight and then after that with uh, the fights that he had with everybody else. Um, at a lighter weight, I don't know. You know, you, you might make the argument that Estrada is better at the lighter weights, you know, and that's the, the big thing with that argument that those lighter weights, uh, featherweight and below, weren't, to me at least, wasn't Barrera's best weight, even though he had already accomplished a lot. And I think he, he did win a super bantamweight title, um, and he had two fights with uh, Junior Jones, I, I believe. Um, like I said, my memory's really fun. right. Yeah, he got stopped with Junior Jones, and that was at at Bantam. Well, you know, I think the reason why he was so so dominant, if I remember correctly, was because he was draining himself to make Bantam weight. That's why they decided to make that move to featherweight. If that, if my memory serves serves me right, and guys, you can let me know in the chat room. Uh, D-Style uh, just commented, Barrera beats Estrada 12, 12 rounds and decision. Possibly slow, so. But I, I think that Estrada, uh, I, 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 I'm tending to lean with you, Marcos, just because what I've seen with Estrada, he does well under pressure. I mean, he fought Gonzalez, uh, I mean, saw ring inside. I mean, I mean, we've seen what he can do with guys that are coming forward. And put in a lot of pressure, which would be uh, uh, Barrera's style at bantamweight. Come forward, put a lot of pressure, throw a lot of punches, uh, kind of get you, kind of get you out of your rhythm, and that's what he would catch you. And a lot of the guys that he did face at bantamweight were smaller guys. That's why he he looked like a monster going in the featherweight division. I think that's when he grew into his body, and he started. To, that's when he started really. I need to develop. Uh, I, I not develop. I need to just pull the bag of tricks that I have of my real boxing skills to hold up with these bigger guys. They're now draining themselves to make featherweight. Yeah, I think the other thing with Gallo is I, Gallo was a lot more lighter on his feet than Barrera. Um, a, a little bit slicker as well, where uh, Gallo does have the ability to box and move, get in and out. Um, so it, more versatile on his feet than, than Barrera uh, would have been, even though Barrera was just so so solid fundamentally but you know uh, the, the big point on this is like we had mentioned I don't think Barrera really came into his own and become the, such the, the great fighter that he, he ended up becoming up until he made that that move up because of, of what you mentioned you know the, these weight cuts affect guys big time you know and we're seeing Gaio right now that's his weight you know that, that's right. his best optimum fighting weight that's where he performs the best. And Barrera, you can make an argument that he didn't necessarily perform the best when he was at his lighter weights, that he performed the best when he was at featherweight and above. Now we move down to uh, Sol Ringside, the, the Rat King, who has got a compelling records of 47, five losses, uh, 41 KOs, one draw. This, to me, man, would be fight of the year. Marcos, I, I, I think that these guys would complement each other a whole lot at Bantamweight. Um, I don't even think this, if they had faced each other, I, I don't think it goes past six rounds, to tell you the truth. Ah, oh, man, that would have been a tough fight. That would have been very, very tough, just because of Rungasai's power. Even though I, I want to say that Barrera would have won, 
I'm not sure, man. I'm thinking, yeah, well, I keep, I just keep thinking if, if Rungasai would have clocked him, Barrera would have gone down, you know? Um, it it, it would have been tough. You know, higher weight, different story. But but at that weight, I, I want to say Barrera just because. Well, I look at, this is what I look at. I look at the way Barrera, how aggressive he was at Bantamweight, that I think, I tend to think that he's going to walk in to a big punch that Sora, a ring inside is going to throw. And I think that's what's going to hurt him. He gets clipped. Because I look at Roman, the, the first fight that he had with Rungasai, you know, he was coming forward throwing a lot of punches. Right. Uh, even though Rungasai ended up winning that fight, I, I think a, a majority of boxing fans felt that Roman won that fight. It could have been a, a fight similar to that one, the first uh, Roman uh, Rungasai fight. Um, even though I think Roman throws more punches than Barrera, uh, but Barrera, damn, it just reminds me how good Roman was. Yep, it's prime because he was just so complete. I, I want to say that um, Roman had just as good timing as Barrera um, in a lot of these exchanges. Yeah, it would have been a tough one, man. It, it it could have been a fight where if Barrera could withstand the power of Rungvisai and be able to take the punch as well, he would have ended up winning wide on the scorecards. I not wide, competitive. It would have been very competitive. I I, I see him getting a. Maybe a majority decision, but a very close majority decision. You know, Junior Jones, if anything, he exposed that Barrera was acceptable to a right hand. Didn't see it, couldn't see it, and couldn't defend against it. Even in, the, in both fights when they had faced each other. I would lean with, I would really have to lean, uh, lean with the, uh, the racking. I think he takes it. Yep, I, I think he takes it. I think my, he, my only thing is he doesn't throw a lot, you know? Right. That, that's my only thing. He but he's so heavy-handed. You know, and and I think with Barrera's style at that time, that Barrera's stubbornness, he showed it with, with Junior Jones, uh, yeah. Poison, that, that he didn't know how to take a step back in box. He tried to get his every time he got hurt. He tried to return the favor, and that's yeah, what got him in trouble what, every time. That's what led to such great fights with him. But, yeah, yeah that's, that's not necessarily the, the smartest thing to do. <laughs> right? and you hit me i'm gonna try to hit you back it, it makes sense it's, it's like a natural instinct you hit me i'm gonna try to hit you back but um you know boxing it's a little bit different because you try to get that punch back and you might end up getting cracked so now you bring a good point you, you bring a good point you know rungasai is not the uh the the fastest guy uh but he, he you know he does land um those punches but who's to say that rungasai wouldn't have tried to fight him uh, orthodox and he would have been completely outclassed like how he fought Gallo in that second fight you know? yeah yeah definitely now we move on to Roman Gonzalez 49 wins two losses 41 KOs complete fighter uh, God did he look great in his last fight was I thought it was phenomenal to see, the, see him just come back in on the limelight and get the respect that it's well overdue for him uh, you know fortunately we're getting I don't know if we're getting the tail end of him. I, I, I was talking to Marcos uh, Caballero, who's his trainer now. He's been with him for two years. I remember saying that, like, oh, man, you know, uh, even though it's late in his career. And I, I, I remember him getting, like, kind of disgruntled over the phone. He was like, what, what, what do you mean? No, 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 no. He's the same guy. He needed rest. He needed to just kind of get himself back together. Trust me, he's not done with his career. He's got at least three or four more fights left in him. You know, and I know they're pressing hard for the Juan Francisco Estrada fight, uh, you know, and they think strong, they, they feel strongly that they, that 
that's another winnable fight for them again because they had faced each other the first time. Uh, but I think it was just a different time uh, where Juan Francisco was at in his career. I think it makes it a di completely different match uh, if they do get a chance to step in again and face each other. But against Barrera, I, I got to tell you, this one here is uh, uh, Barrera Bantamweight. Again, a pressure fighter coming forward. Um, I think it suits Roman Gonzalez all the way. Yeah, I would have favored Roman in, in that fight at that weight. Um, because I think in any, obviously any higher weight would have been Barrera, but I think as we've seen, um, well, it, it depends. You know, what version? Man, it, this is all dependent on weight classes, really, you know? Right. Um, because, okay, Roman's best weight, in your opinion, what was it? Was it? Uh, I want to say what one twelve, I, I think you know, because one fifteen is showed you know when uh, the well Roman showed at, at at these heavier weights right now. Let's just this banner weight one fifteen. Uh, so ring side, you saw the size affect him. It was yeah. too much for him. So I tend to think that Marcos Antonio Barrera would probably be too big for Roman at this division too. And the style that he fought as a bantamweight, I think that he busts up Roman, but not knock him out. I think it's just going to be a, 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 a you know a very close fight because I think what will happen is Roman will adjust to what Barrera's doing, and then probably take over in those late rounds. But it would leave it would leave the, the it's a tough one because yeah. there's so many. Here's the thing, like, we're basing it on, on Roman now, uh, what he what he looks like now, and the context of, of that he got knocked out a few fights ago, and he has it. We haven't seen a lot of him since that fight, so it's it, it's hard. And the, the other thing is, him at this weight, I've, I've heard journalists from Nicaragua say that this is not the best weight for Roman, that he's too small right. uh, for this weight. You know, that the 112 was a better weight for him, and, and that's really was was his weight. His marquee performances came from that weight. So uh, it, I agree. You, know, you, you could see that Barrera is the bigger guy, and Roman's punches wouldn't have backed off Barrera as much as, say, like... Um, uh, Someone like Rungvisai, who, who probably would have thought twice about going and throwing punches because of his power. Right. It would have been a great fight, uh, but could have been a split decision for, for Barrera, I think, based on that. Yeah, I think so, too. Like I said, I think it all depends on the judges on that night. But I think that the size is going to be a major difference for, uh, for Roman to keep off uh, Barrera. Uh, and, and the whirlwind that he was as a bantamweight, it just spells all bad for Roman. I, I think Roman would, would, would adjust in the later rounds if he doesn't get hurt and if he's not busted up too much. Because, you know, Marcos wasn't like, he wasn't a world beater. I mean, he wasn't a one-punch knockout artist. He was a guy that had a really, uh, uh, out. he outlasted you. Yeah, no, the volume, the volume. The volume, right? yeah, exactly. He wouldn't, yeah, it wouldn't be one punch. It would be three or four that would end up over a period of, of time that would end up uh, taking its toll on you, uh, you know, because 
obviously you're, you're fighting for 12 rounds. Um, and, and he knew that. He's, he's a smart guy. He's right. one of the smartest guys that, that, that I've ever fought. You know? And that's the beauty of it, to, to come to the realization like, hey, I have 12 rounds to work with. I'm going to pick which punches that are going to they're going to pick you apart. And little by little, you're going to break down. You know, that's what the beauty of, of this sport is as well, that not every punch has to be a power punch, you know. Exactly. You can touch, 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 throw a hard one in there. You know, make make it, make your rhythm so, like, offbeat that guys don't know what to expect uh, when you're throwing at it. And, um, and it's a little interesting like that, 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 I, I love boxing when, like, you really start breaking it down, like, and, and it's such a, like, intricate sport with, like, little intricacies that um, I get lost in them sometimes, man, and there's so much to learn um, when you're going over tape and also when you're, you're talking to trainers and, and listening to what they're saying as well. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Well, you know, like I said, I'm not so big on fantasy fights. But I tell you what, I had a blast doing this. You know, it really made me open up the vault in my brain to remember the style of the, of the past fighters, the past greats, and to really kind of just kind of break down and analyze these guys that are in the division. You know, when they say these fighters nowadays can't, can't match up to the guys from the 80s and 90s, man, bro, when you really sit there and think about it and you really break down their styles, they absolutely can, absolutely yeah, can. You know, some of them can. Uh, some of them obviously couldn't. Right. There's a lot of guys that were special back from the '80s and '90s. But I think you now the main point that people forget it is that the the science is so much better um, now in terms of training and, and nutrition, and these athletes are, are just better athletes um, than they were back in the '80s and '90s. That better drugs. That's another story, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, but you would think that any any gap in technique or any gap in talent, right, could be curbed a little bit or at least made even or or make yourself competitive because of of the training methods and the nutrition that's available today. Absolutely, man. Well, Marcus, I want to thank you, bro, for coming on uh, for the show, first episode for us for Stack the, the Stack Up Show, man. I really appreciate it. I had a lot of fun. Um, take care, and I hope to speak to you and have you once on, uh, again on the show with us, bro. Oh, we'd love to, man. It was, it was a good chat as always. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. All right, brother. Talk to you guys soon. Everybody, don't forget to subscribe and hit the like button and hit that little bell so you're notified when we go live. And I appreciate everybody that comes through. Uh, don't forget every Monday where we should be back on live on Leaving the Ring.